fantastic. You know, uh, this is a time of year where you get proud of all the different things we do as a church. And when I look at all the different things we do as missions, you can go, guys. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. Well done. So uh, when you look at all the different things we do as missions, I, I just love it. And what I love about it is that we have relationship with all of those people. They're not just people that we see on a screen. They're people that we kind of like partnering with, that we know are working hard, that we know that are actually doing something in the area that they are. And I'm just really proud of all the different things we do as missions and that we focus on missions. Our missions isn't just kind of added on to the side because we're supposed to, we're a church, let's do some missions. But it's something that is really core to who we are as a church and I just think we do fantastic. And then on Friday night, all the youth leaders got together and so I went to kind of like, a, it's a thank you night for all of our hardworking youth leaders and I just looked out around the room and I just go, this is a quality bunch of young people. You know, don't ever believe the lie that the church is dying, that young people are running away from the church. It's just not true. You know, I can take you there on Friday night and see all these young people who are loving God, who are serving God, who are working hard for God. And I, and I just think it's fantastic. So uh, it's a tight time of year where I just look at all the different things and I go, God is good. I mean, how good was our Christmas production and all the talent? Come on, put your hands together. You know, people like Danielle was away and yet we were still able, and different ones were away, yet we were still able to put on something that wasn't just good, but it was just fantastic that you'll be proud to bring someone to. So I, I just am very proud of our church and it's such a honor and a privilege to pastor this church, and uh, I just love it. I feel like I'm so blessed. But I do tell you what, we do care for you because, like, it's hot today, isn't it? It's, it's hot. Well, next week, all right, there's going to be new air conditioning, all right, and we've done it, so it comes in, or we're going to add to the air conditioning we've got, so it's going to come in from the back, but we're able to also kind of, I don't know, quarantine it, I don't, I don't know, guide it somewhere, so we can turn something on, and then it will go into the foyer. So the actual foyer will also be air conditioned. We'll get the extra power in here. So uh, I think that's good. And I think we should have just one thing that comes <laughs> down right here. Because right, I get a bit nervous. You're going to see how sweaty I get. It's not a good shirt for, for these things. So uh, I'm finally, finally going to preach 1 Peter chapter 5. I feel like I started it in April, right? But uh, we're finally here and we're finishing 1 Peter chapter 5. I've, I must admit, I've actually loved doing the series and talking to different ones and hearing your reactions. I, I feel like many of you have enjoyed it as well. But being a multi-site church, that does present some challenges to doing a series preach, but I think it's worked out okay. So today is going to be challenging to many people, because the core of chapter 5 contains some very well-known scriptures that we use in all sorts of situations, but when you read them in context, ask us to behave in a way that modern Western culture doesn't like. Yet as Christians, we're actually called to live a kingdom culture not a worldly culture. So before we get into it, 
I'm just going to pray and then do a little recap for those that may be just here today and haven't heard the last four chapters. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word gives us instruction. Your word gives us encouragement. Your word builds faith in our hearts, oh Lord. And Father, I pray as today we go through your word, that Father, it does those things. It creates faith in people's lives, oh God. Help me communicate it in a way that you can use it. I ask in Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. So let's do a little bit of a quick recap of the four chapters that we've done before. So the book of 1 Peter is written by Peter the Apostle. Peter is writing to Christians who are living in hostile cities. Some are there because they're escaping persecution and some are there because they've been converted and that's where they live. They, they were living in that area and they came to Christ. So it's a book written to converted Christians, and it's trying to teach to how to live the Christian life in a hostile place, in a place where Christianity and being a Christian isn't going to get you ahead, and believing could actually bring some persecution and definitely some restriction. So it's written to people who are going through a hard time because of their faith, and for whom there isn't an instant answer to just make the problem go away. They've got to live through this. It's not just going to go away. So in chapter 1, Peter focuses people on the eternal. And he's basically saying to persevere in this tough world, you actually have to have an eternal mindset. So in chapter 2, we're encouraged because of our eternal mindset to put aside things like malice, deceit, slander, envy, hypocrisy, because that's the actual fruit of living a life without an eternal mindset and only increases hostility towards you from people who are not yet in the church, from those outside the faith. Peter shows us that an eternal mindset will see ourselves as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and as God's special choice people. So we're given some instructions of how to deal with injustice and how to persevere through unfairness. It then goes to tell us that we're to honour government and people of position to work hard in our workplaces so that people don't have a reason to be against us. We see that if we endure through these tough conditions, trusting Him who judges rightly and looking to Jesus as our example, that God would, would give us like credit. It was like having credit in God's bank. So chapter two is essentially telling us an eternal mindset will help you persevering and enduring some of the tougher things of our walk with God. Chapter three then talks about men and women and marriage and thank you for being so gracious, all you ladies, as I spoke through that when we went through that. And so, so Peter's essentially saying, act properly even when things aren't good. And then he talks about what acting properly looks like. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Don't repay evil for evil. Rather, do good. Don't revile. Don't deceive. And he finishes the, the, the chapter with the thought, which I think is really the core thought of the book. Do good whether people deserve it or not. Right? 
If we live in an unrighteous world, if we live doing good, if we live making the world a better place for those in it, if we're going to live a better life, an easier life, the world may not understand us. They may be against us. But if we're doing good, what can they say? So chapter 4 is the suffering of Christ once again functions as it does throughout the book as a model and inspiration to us. Christ is our greatest role model. And even though he was completely guiltless, he still suffered. So to those living in a hostile environment, people say, you may do everything right, but you're still going to go through some suffering. So let Jesus be your example. He then gives us some of the greatest advice on how to run a church, emphasizing that above all else is to love one another. That above everything else we do in church, loving one another is a thing we need to do the most. And he finishes, us, finishes that chapter by warning us, yes, things might get tough for you living in this hostile world, but let it be because of our serving Christ and our heart for God, not because we're just horrible people, that, that we suffer. Let's suffer because of who we serve and the faith that we have, not because of the reasons that everyone else does, for their laziness, selfishness, for their, all those different things. No, let us suffer because we follow Christ. So here we are at our final chapter, but I've got to close up there after going through a no-no. So chapter five, it actually contains some of the most well-known scriptures that, we've, that we all know. There's a number of scriptures in chapter five that a number of you would be able to recite a number of you would have memorized, a number of you would use on a fairly regular basis, and, and I guess a number of times would have used to encourage yourselves in. So we're going to have a look at some of these and just look at it in context. 1 Peter 5 verse 1, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So Paul finishes this letter by addressing the church and its leaders, the elders. It's not now to the people of the church of how to live in a hostile society, but it's especially to church leaders and those who hold a position in the actual church structure. Peter identifies himself, he goes, I'm an elder. And he reveals that, that he himself has been a living example of what he's been teaching. He goes, I know that there's been suffering that comes with following Jesus, but because I've got an eternal mindset, I also know that one day I'm going to partake in the glory of God. And he speaks to the elders of the church. These are the pastors of the church. This is talking to me. Right, this is me as the pastor of the church. This is who he's speaking to here and he's telling us how we should act, how we should be. We are to one, shepherd 
people. We are shepherds. That's the role of the leader of the church. I'm not here to just tell you what to do. I'm here as a shepherd. A shepherd cares for his flock. That means that as the leader of the church, I'm here for you. You are not here for me. Right? And sometimes church leadership has been about how do you serve my vision? And I bring vision and you're here to serve it. And you're here to do what I tell you to do because this is the vision of the church. Now, as the leader of the church, as the shepherd, I am going to present vision. But it's for you to come on board with. It's not to rule over you. It's not to have this big stick. Just do what I say. Do it because I said so. That's not good enough. It's not the heart of the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd is for the good of the sheep. Watch out for that wolf. Watch out for that water. It's not good to drink. Watch out for that food. Let's go over here. This is good food. Watch out. This is a safe place. Let's hear. So that's what shepherding is. That's what I'm meant to be as a shepherd. It says that we serve as overseers. So my role is to serve as a shepherd. Peter knows this. He's actually seen Jesus model this. You know, Jesus wanted to wash the disciples' feet, which is kind of like a, the servant's job. They've been working, walking around. Their feet are all dusty and horrible. And Peter's going, you're not going to wash my feet. I'll wash your feet. Oh, you know, no, no, don't you? And Jesus is like, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can't partake of what I have for you. And he goes, oh, then wash everything of me. Wash my whole body. Right? I love Peter. He's so kind of like, boom, boom. Right? It's just all or nothing with Peter. But I love that. What, what I find about that is that like Jesus says no. See, what happens, as a leader, we serve and we shepherd you, but that doesn't mean that you rule over us as the shepherds or that we are just at your beck and call. But also, because we are serving you, you just aren't at our beck and call. Can you understand that? So that's what it's saying. It's not about rulership. It's about godly order. And Jesus responds to Peter and says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And as a shepherd, that's what, and as the leader of the church and as the pastors of our church, that's what we have. We want to serve you and we're willing to give up our rights and what could be because we want to see you well fed, protected and going well in the things of Christ in your walk in discipleship. As, God, as a leader in God's church, I must shepherd you and serve you, not because I have to. Right, it says not because of compulsion, right? Not because I have to, but because I want to. Not because there's something in it for me, but because the call of God is so strong on my life, I just got to follow that. So what I thought I'd, I'd actually show you uh, the, the kind of like the first lines on our contracts that we have with the people who work for Immersed Church. So it's going to come up here. 
Look at that. So I actually put location pastor. It, was, it could be for any of our pastors. So this is, it's, it's actually written very nicely. Yeah? Our, uh, our, <laughs> our contracts aren't written so well. Thank you. Good job, Jacinta. All right, maybe we should do it like this. All right, so position is, because this is a location pastor. could be the youth pastor. could be creative. could be any of the areas that we have, because it's on every single contract. The following is a brief outline of the roles and responsibility of the above position. However, tasks may be added to it at the discretion of the senior pastor. That's just a smart line I put in there, right? As a church, we are committed to providing excellence in everything we do in order to emerge, there's the name of our church, as a church that is attractive to its members and the people of the wider community. In other words, it's people that matter at Emerge Church. Then, uh, does it go on? You must first have your own strong and personal conviction regarding the call of God on your life and walk with Christ. Please remember, you are a follower of Jesus first before anything else. You know, that's in our contracts for every single pastor, anyone who works here at Emerge Church. Because I don't want them to do it because they have to. I want them to do it as a response to what they feel God is asking them to do. I, I just think it's, it's, it's wonderful. See, our staff are not here because they just want you know, a position. They're here because they're following God's call on their life. They don't want to lord it. I just want to be able to tell people in the church what to do. No, it's not a career move or the money. If you look at some of our staff, you know, Pastor Joe took a $100,000 a year pay cut to be on staff. That's a big deal. So he's been on staff for 11 years. So he's paid a million dollars to be on staff. That's here. I, I never say that when Yovana's around. All right. <laughs> no, no, recently my own son just came on staff. Took a 30,000 pay cut to be on staff and, and gave up a, a, an excellent potential future. He went to India with his boss, and his boss was looking at retiring and, and, and was just saying, Jack, is this something that you would like to, to come and do? And it's a, quite a successful company. But he goes, I, I don't know. And I spoke with him, and he goes, Dad, I want to be in the ministry. I didn't hear because it's his dad, you know, I want to be in the ministry. No, it's the call of God on his life. Hendrico was running his own successful building, uh, uh, company, his own successful business. He's the location pastor at, at uh, Redcliffe. And, and, and he gave that up. Successful, great future, so many different things. He gave that up because he's kingdom-minded, not self-minded. And they understand that they've been trusted. And the word in, in the 1 Peter used the words entrusted with godly riches, which is people. Right? They're not interested in the worldly riches. Right? They're interested in godly riches, which is people. That's, that's godly leadership. Not wanting to yield power and control over those we lead, but rather to shepherd our people into a growing discipleship with God. Not with our heart for ourselves, but for heart for the people that we're entrusted to serve. So I think that, you know, we probably pretty much get that right. Because our heart, I'm sure there's times when we get that wrong. I'm sure there's times when I've just reacted out of something. But in general, 
That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're endeavouring to do. If you're in our staff meeting, we honestly many times talk about the fact that you are a Christian first. You are a follower of Jesus first before you're anything else. Because I don't want people just position. I want people who love Jesus and are just following the call of God in their lives. So that's all be nice. Put your seatbelts on. We're about to go into the fun part and that. So uh, I might be going on holidays for a few weeks after this. <laughs> I have a drink before I get into this. All right, but it's the Word of God. I argue with God. 1 Peter 5 verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit. Everyone say the word submit. submit. You can say it louder than that. <laughs> submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, always good advice. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this passage, in context, is actually all about our authorities. It has some famous scriptures. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Cast your care on him, for he cares for you. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We use them regularly to encourage one another. But in context, they're talking about a younger person or a younger elder who is not happy about submitting to their leader or to their authority. The younger one has the temptation not to submit and not Submitting to an authority is a temptation that we will all go through. So let's take a moment and speak about authority. Let's have a look at God's attitude about how we deal with authority. It's not popular today in this culture, which is all about an individual's rights. So we're going to have a look at the greatest chapter, and that is uh, Romans 13. Now, let me tell you, I can speak on this for 90 minutes. So I've got to condense this, right? So I'm giving you just one scripture, but there's lots, right? So I'm just trying to give you one so you get the idea. Romans 13, verse 1. It just starts off with something pretty encompassing, the verse word. Everyone must submit himself to the government, governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist have been established by God Consequently, who rebels against the authority is rebelling what God has instituted, for he is God's servant to do you good. So remember who was the governing authority at this time? It was Nero. It was Rome. And Rome and Nero were harder and meaner and more terrible than pretty much anyone that anyone you can name in history. So when you start to say, I don't have to listen to government authorities because they're like this and that, and I've heard some really strange teaching about this in recent times, 
when we have someone equal of Nero, which we don't have in Australia, right, let's uh, think about things then. All right, so what does this verse tell us about authorities? All authorities, number one, are appointed by God. Number two, you're in resistant authority, but you're in grave danger of resisting God. Number three, our authorities are God's ministers to us for good. So who are our authorities? And I'm going to give you, I could give you many scripture each one, but for time's sake, I'm just going to give one. And also I'm going to try and use one Peter references because that adds weight to as we're doing the book of one Peter, trying to get these things across. Number one, our parents and husbands. So Colossians 3, there's children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 1 Peter 3 verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And we looked at that in part three. Number two, government. 1 Peter 2 verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted amongst men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors. Number three, employers, slaves, employees, submit yourselves to your master's employers with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. Number four, church leaders, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. We just read that before. And in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual authorities and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. So why is this important? There's no point telling you, right, just do it because I said, or this is what the Bible says, just do it. I actually want to show you, and if you could bring up the whiteboard, I want to show you why this is important and what God is actually doing. So you remember the Bible says, and you're going to see my terrible drawing skills, right? Thank you, Paul. All right. So this this for my picture. This is God. All right, this is God. This is the devil. Give him some horns. All right. Sorry, just talk amongst yourselves. All right. So these are our authorities, our employers, our church elders, our husbands and parents. What was the last one? Our government. So the Bible says this. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So that's like saying, if I go tell the boss he can go jump the government, he can go stick it, whatever, right? If I do that, that's like saying it's the same as if I did some sacrifice and went, hail Beelzebub. Right now, we go, I don't think so, Mark. I think if I were to kind of like do a uh, sacrifice to the devil, that that would be a lot worse than just being rebellious. But the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel, right, that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. 
So what happens is that if I am, right, being in witchcraft, I am, I'll just make it a bit bigger, right? So if I am here, all right, I'm going to have a sad face because I'm, right? If I'm here, when I do a sacrifice to the devil, I'm saying I want the devil's I want the devil's input into my life. That's what being, you know, you're calling on devil. That's what witchcraft is. Devil come into my life. Devil do these things. That's bad. That's bad. We don't want to do that. But what happens is that God gives us these four levels of authority. And they're there to protect us. So when I say, oh, I'm not going to listen to, which one, uh, my parents, all of a sudden, I put myself because that protection, probably should use this, right? That protection is now gone. I put exactly the same. So when you say, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to tell the church, go get the government how they can. But all I'm doing is I'm taking away my protection from what God has using to bless me. He's put those four authorities in my life so that I am able to be blessed. I'm protected from the enemy. So that's what it means. You can take that, and I apologize for my drawing skills, but I just wanted to show you. Oh, you can have this pen too. Huh? Catch, honey. Oh. Oh. oh, look at that. That's why our authorities are so crucial in us going forward in God. See, the Bible tells us not to, to tells us to submit to our authorities, not just to obey. Obedience is when I do what I'm told. Submission is when I make my authority's will my will. See, authorities often get the hard end of the deal. If you look at the parable of the talents, well, that authority, he's just hard and harsh. If you look at the parable of the workers being paid the same, well, that, well, well, that, that leader, he was just unfair. And often when I hear those things, when, when someone tells me, this person's hard or harsh or, or this person's unfair, I just think like, okay, you're dealing with an authority here where God's actually trying to deal with you. The most common reason that people give for going against authority is they say, well, I listen to the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't listen to man. The Holy Spirit is my teacher. But these people have got it wrong because what they're actually saying is they believe a man is in control of their life. A person, a situation is control of their life. They're not saying God's in control. They're saying this person, and really what that means is they're like, God wants to bless me, but this person is stopping it. This circumstance is stopping it. It's not true. God is not in heaven going, Lee, I really want to bless you, Bernadette, but that Pastor Mark, he's, he's against you, and so therefore I'm in heaven. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm bereft. What do I do? I want to bless, you know, Bernadette, but that Pastor Mark, he's in the way, right? Isn't that ridiculous? If God wants to bless Bernadette, he doesn't need me, might use me in another term, but he can bless her regardless. And so she shows she trusts God by saying, I'm going to let God do it. Right? Uh, Luke 16, 2 says, if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? See, it's in listening to the man that God puts over you, man or woman, when I say that, I'm not talking specific. It's listening to the man or, or that God puts over you 
that God sees, can he trust you with your own? It's a test. It's a test. You know, this week I went to Adelaide. Pastor Ashley Evans, like my pastor for forever and someone I served really for 28 years, right? I, was, I went there for his 60th. And I was faithful in what is his. And for years, I was faithful. And I want to say, it wasn't easy. He's a tough man. He's a hard man in many ways. But I want to say, I've reaped what I sow because now I have a hardworking and loyal staff. I've got a great staff, but I believe it's because when I was an employee, I was a good employee. See, man cannot pull you down if God wants to exalt you. No one from the east or from the west or from the desert can exalt a man. But it's God who judges. He brings down, he brings one down and he exalts another. Promotion comes neither from the east or from the west. It comes from the Lord. It's God who judges. Do we trust God? That's what the whole do is. Do you trust God? Do you really believe that God is on your side? Do you really believe that God is in control? Do you really believe that God loves you and has a plan? That's what it's all about. Do you really believe? Do you have faith that God is going to be on your side? If you're pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and it's not opening, maybe you've got to have a look at it. What is going on? Because your gift will make room for you. You can't make God do something that he doesn't want to do. One more. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns us whoever he wishes. So what if your authority asks you to do something sinful? Well, in all honesty, I can never remember Pastor Ashley asking me to steal Never asked me to cheat on Nina. Never told me to lie. But if an authority were to, then obviously you're not going to do it. And you will suffer for doing right, as the apostles did when they were asked not to preach about Jesus. But to be honest, that happens very rarely. Most often our authority wants us to do something we don't want to do. Or we want to do something that our authority doesn't want us to do. Or we're still, we think that they're wrong, or they've got some sinister motive, or they don't recognize the fantastic gift that's within you. So what do we do in the case when you really feel you need to go against authority? And I think you need to be careful. King David had an authority who tried to kill him, consulted demons, but he never did anything against the one that God anointed because he trusted God with his future and in his calling. But if you must, do it this way. Number one, check your motives. Is this about me? Am I being selfish? Am I just seeking recognition? Clear out any wrong attitudes that you have. Are you in, am I insecure? Am I impatient? Am I jealous? Am I angry? Then try and discern your authority's intentions. Look at the bigger picture. Find out what their goals are. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about the overall good of the organization. It happens in families all the time. There are sometimes I make a decision that benefits one of my children because that's what they need at a particular time and it may be a bit tougher for one of the others. 
But that's for the benefit of the whole family. Another time will come when the one who didn't get something got something. So that's, that's what happens. And sometimes you actually have to discern that there's lots of different things that your leader has to actually uh, look at. Then work out a creative solution, right? And ask God, give me something where everyone wins. Show me a way where everyone can get what it is that they would like. And after you've done all that, then go to your authority and speak to them. And after speaking to them, give God time to change your authority's mind. Trust God. You know, when I became a Christian, <laughs> my parents didn't want me coming to a church like this. And I'd never, ever listened to them before in my life. So I didn't know why I was going to start then. But then God told me I should. Jesus listened to his parents, right? So you listen to your parents. And so I thought, but God, you want me to go to church? Surely you want me to go to church. I have to go to church. And, and, and so they were going to a cafe church. So I said, look, can I come to church with you in the morning to the Catholic church? And then I'll go at night to this other church. And it really spoke to them because literally I'd never listened to them. I just always did exactly what I wanted. Couldn't care less about what they wanted. And they were happy. He says, okay. And then all of a sudden that worked. It was something that was a win for everyone. Right? My parents had some, Mark's decided to listen to us. Mark's taken our kind of uh, thoughts into his mind. This is, a, this is a good thing. And so therefore... And so what happened, because I was willing to do that, they've never loved the church. I was telling someone this morning, I, when my son was dedicated, right, my, uh, my parents told me they came to church to watch the dedication, but they weren't there, right? I know, you know if your parents are in church, right? So uh, that, that's how funny they were, right? So, right, but that worked out for us. And so therefore, I was able to start going to church without having a constant fight every week. So you just got to trust God. In the end, you may be like David. David had to remove himself from his situation under Saul. But you'll find he never, ever speaks bad about Saul again. He has, and takes, he has two opportunities. And when he went to Israel, he actually went into the cave where this actually happened. He had two opportunities to take Saul out, but he doesn't do it, and he won't abide by anyone speaking bad about Saul because he actually shows that he trusts God. I want to tell you right now, remember, it's never our place to deal up. So with all of that, let's continue looking at our Scripture. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, in our discipleship with God, all of us, one time or another, will come to a place where we are tempted to be proud because we got our feelings hurt by an authority who we believe was wrong, in our opinion, or that we didn't really know what they were on about, or we felt that they had it in for us, or they may have actually even wronged you. They may have actually been jerks. But God says, this is a time to be humble. 
not to be proud. And then it says this, that God resists you. Yeah. You know, to be honest, <laughs> that's pretty scary. He's got some power at his hands, right? This is not just some five-year-old kid resisting you. No, this is God, yeah. right? And, and you're going to lose. No one is winning that battle. If God resists you, you're in a bad place, right? You're in a bad place. So what God So remember when you get proud about what's happening to you in this authority area, remember it's not your authority that's resisting you. It's God who's resisting you. And it changes everything. Therefore, because you know, therefore, because you don't want to be proud, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's going to be on your side if you humble yourself. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Understand, it's not your authority that's giving you grief. It's your authority that God is using to deal with something of pride in your heart or an attitude that is not gonna take you where God wants to take you. This is the care that God is asking you to care, to cast upon him. I trust you with this God. That man, that circumstance, that organization, they don't see it, but I trust you. I humble myself before you. See, we hate it. When the fact seems that someone has control over you or that you have no control in that circumstance, that's the time to cast your care upon God in these times. That gets us exalted when? In due time, in God's time. See, once again, we see it's God controlling the agenda. It's not the authority. It's God who's controlling the agenda. Even though to us, it seems like it's the authority. Be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is how we do it. We, we, we gotta be sober. Now, it's not talking about getting drunk, even though that's good advice as well. It means don't get out of control, allowing your emotions to get all rolled up and your feelings to go all up and down and all over the place, and you feel the need to tell everyone how badly you've been treated. Don't do it. You bring oxygen into that circumstance. It's, it's pride. Look how bad they've been to me. Be vigilant. Know yourself. Recognize the feelings of anger or depression or resignation, or revenge, or the, or the bad attitudes, or that, that sense, I'm just gonna give in to that sin because it doesn't matter anyway. Be vigilant against those things. Know yourself. Know how the enemy is working because the enemy goes about as a roaring lion. Right, like a lion doesn't just run into a pack of zebras and just grab the first zebra. No way, they're gonna get kicked in the head. It's gonna be horrible. It's gonna be terrible for them. So what they do is they try and bring kind of confusion. They, they look for the lame. They look for the weak. They look for the isolated. Right? If you isolate yourself, you always become 
uh, uh, kind of prey for the enemy. Never isolate yourself in a season where you feel like your authority has got it wrong. Resist him, who the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist the devil. How do you do that? By speaking the words that God has given you. Use the word of God as your sword. Because if you're gonna be a disciple of Christ, you are going to go through this. Look what it says. These same sufferings are experienced by your brothers throughout the world. This is God's discipleship process. Jesus himself went through. Lord, if you could take this cup away from me, I I don't understand why you'd make me go through. I don't wanna do this, God. But nevertheless, your will, not my will. Right, it's, it's, it's that sense of, of lordship that we have to take upon ourselves. And everyone will go through this. You know, if you have, uh, I said to you, you know, I, I want you to leave the property today and, uh, and please take the road that is just out there to Cooperoo Road. And, and you cannot get to those lights without going down that road. You can sit there and say, I'm gonna try another way. You know, you know what I mean? I'm gonna drive around the back and I'm gonna open the gates out here and I'm gonna go around and I'm gonna get there that way. But all you have done is cause more trouble for yourself. When God asks you to do something, he gives you the way to do it. And then out of responding in obedience and in submission to that, then God gives you success. You have to go through it. If you wanna be a disciple of Christ, if you wanna do anything in the kingdom of God, if you're gonna be an elder, remember who this is written to. This is written to those who wanna be elders, to those who are the elders in the church. If you wanna be that person, then understand, this is what's gonna happen to you. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. After you've suffered a while, don't you love the way the Bible sometimes overplay, underplays how we feel about that thing we're going through? When you're going through those times, it's, it's horrible, it's terrible. But the Bible says, after you've suffered a while, after you've suffered a while, just don't have a while. Right? Then God does something. See, God has a reason. God's always working in us. What is it? He perfects us. He establishes us. He strengthens us. He settles us. That's what I I, I can say. I've been completely a living example of this. When I got saved, I was rebellious in every way. I I had no regard for authority, and, and it's still my kind of thing inside of me. Like if you say to me, you have to do this, I literally go, I don't have to do anything. It's almost like the first thing that, that I think, look at I don't have to do anything, I'll do what I wanna do, right? And, and these last years have been difficult for me because my nature is just up. You finished that, I didn't. All right, so, uh, <laughs> so, 
but the Lord spoke to me as a young man when I first got saved. And he said, take firm hold of instruction, my son, for she is your life. And that's what I've tried to do. I've tried to listen to authority. And then I've fought and I've come against and I've had times and, and, and all of these different things. 28 years, I was under one leader, a strong, passionate leader. And I thank God for him because he took this totally undisciplined person and, and, and allowed God to fashion him. And as I, like I'm far from perfect, but I can sit there and say, God has perfected me. He's established me. He's strengthened me and he's settled me. That's what God has done because I took firm hold of instruction for she is my life. See, God uses our authorities for good if we allow him to fashion us through our authorities. You know, many times young people come to me and say, well, I'm gonna go and do an internship. I'm gonna go and do this. I'm gonna go and do that. And I just say, get a job. Just get a job for 40 hours a week. Have some boss who's a complete moron tell you what to do and how to do it and always expect more and always do all of these different things. And let me tell you, that is the greatest discipleship you ever get. You ever get. Well, none of the people that are working here at Emerge Church are people who are just ever slack and lazy. They've all had a boss. They've all worked hard. They've all had to produce because the Bible says if you become a pastor, let them have a good reputation outside. Right? Let them, if they can't work hard in the workplace, what do you think they're going to work hard in the church? It's going to be lazy. It's going to have a reason, be victims all the time. And I've seen it happen again and again and again. I thank God that he allowed me to be under a strong leader who was passionate and loved, loved me enough to actually tell me some things I didn't want to hear sometimes and that even without him even knowing, God used. You know, when I started liking Nina, her parents came to us and came to Nina and said, we don't want you going out with Mark. She was a pastor. I was a leader. I wasn't some drinking terrible person. I was doing things in the church. She was a pastor. She's 26 years old. And God says to her, her parents, say, don't. And we didn't like that, but that's what happened. God's authority said no. And so we didn't. And we didn't play games. We didn't like secretly see each other, send little texts and do it. No, we broke it off. We listened to our authority because we knew that it would go well with us. And so two years later, right, when, when we started, something's still going on. I still like her after two years. And now I've seen her mad, bad, glad, sad, and everything. She's seen me every, all these different ways, right? And so I was just like, oh my goodness, I still like her. She still, I think she still likes me. What are we gonna do? Her parents are never gonna say yes. And so we decided that we would make a godly appeal, right? So I went to Pastor Ashley. I said, Ashley, I still like Nina. She still likes me. Parents say no. And, then, and, and he goes, I'll go with you. And we'll go make an appeal before her parents. And then... Uh, we, we, we thought we were going to do that. Her parents were away in Italy. They were going to come back in around October. This was just in May or June, summertime around that. So I thought, what are we going to do? We'll just wait. And I literally made the decision that we weren't going to play games. We weren't going to secretly see each other. We were going to do any of those things, right? And we listened to her parents. And then literally, Nina, the next day, rings me. I go, what are you ringing me for? You're not supposed to be ringing me. Right? What are you doing? Right? And, uh, and she goes, Mark, I got a letter. 
And I didn't know that it had already been written. And in this letter from Italy, her parents write, Yanina, you know, we've been praying and we feel that Mark is the one for you. Yes. Yes. Right? See, the thing is, I needed those two years to become a man who could actually lead her. She's a godly woman. She's, a, she's an amazing woman. So four years, four years, even worse, see? So I'm trying to make it better. Right, so so I, I needed those years. I probably needed 10, right? But, uh, but see, God knew what he was doing. There's never been a day that I've regretted marrying Nina. There's never been a day I wished I'd marry someone else. I'm just glad. I love my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy everything good has come because of that. Imagine I go, I don't have to listen to you. I'm not listening to you, mum and dad. Come on, I'm, I'm 26. I'm telling other people what to do. I'm a pastor. That's what Nina could have said. And different men of God and different people said that's what she should do. You're, you're, you're a leader. You can do it. You don't have to listen to your parents. That's, that's old school. Right? Like, and that. But no, we listened and we were blessed. We listened and we were blessed. Right? Our authorities were there for our good. I want the bad to come. See, it can be frustrating in, the, in the, that time. But I do want to say, ultimately, it's rewarding for you. God is working in you. So let me finish. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this finishes the book. Some personal greetings. And so Silvanus is probably most likely the scribe that Peter dictated the letter to or who actually brought the letter to those people. She who is in Babylon is actually the church in Rome. The early church considered Rome the worldly system of the most heinous ways. They did not like Rome at all. They didn't like the worldly system. They didn't like anything that it stood for. And much of the book of Revelation is written along those lines. So it's talking about she was in Babylon. That's the church in Rome. See, they didn't like that realm. They didn't like that kingdom. And that's what Peter is saying right at the end of the book. He goes, we're the church in Babylon. We're the church in the worldly system. We're the church in things where the enemy sometimes has the right. So have an eternal mindset. Live in such a way that whoever comes into your context is better off because they know you emerge into their lives as someone that they would go to. There's an attractiveness, a a drawing to the things of God that comes through your life. Love one another. Understand that God has put authorities in our lives to actually bless us and do good. And then he tells the story, he says, Mark, my son. That's John Mark. That's the same mark that Paul and Barnabas have such a fight about. 
Paul's going, that guy under trouble, under, under pressure, he'll run away. Barnabas, the eternal encourager, no, he's a good guy, he's a good guy. They have such a fight about this. Two great church leaders, church elders, have such a fight about this that they decide, that's it, I'm never talking to him again. And they bust up. Doesn't sound that godly to me. Right? It doesn't sound that wonderful to me. And it's like, imagine being poor John Mark. He's got two authorities fighting him, fighting over him. But because he's willing, and obviously he was humble in that circumstance, obviously he's, he's got a heart before God in that circumstance. The Bible says in another place as well that he is useful. And then Peter says of him, Mark, my son. God restored him. See, the thing is, authorities can fight over you. They can be against you. They can, they can have this one guy, that's you, no, 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 no. But in the end, when God's got a call on your life, when God's got something for your life, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. God's going to put the right people at the right place at the right time. And so Peter, he's my son. He's my son. So I want us to close our eyes right now. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, anyone's having an issue with authority right now. Father, let it be that they have a trust, a trust in you, O oh God. Father, Lord, let them cast their care on you. Let this moment be a time where they cast your care, their care on you. Not to work out seven strategies, who to talk to, what not to do, how to do, all those other things. But right now, put it in your hands. Put it in your lap. Because you care for us, oh God. You know what we're going through. You know what we're feeling. You know the injustice that, that we sense. You, you know the things that are unfair. You know the, the, the slights and the overlookings that, that's happened to us, oh God. You know those things, oh God. So I can put my care in you because you care for me. And Father, help me to be humble enough to wait for my due season, my due time, oh God. Father, help me wait long enough that you can perfect me and establish me, settle me, oh God, and strengthen me, oh God. Father, I put my care in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.